As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and yes, sportsmen, drag racers. I'm joined as always by my right-hand man, my good friend, Big Jed. How's the world treating you today, Jed? Luke, it's really good. It's really good. I, um, you know, have wound my season down and looks like everybody's season's kind of winding down. So this is the time of year where uh, we, we have to start coming up with some content for the show outside of results. But... For this week, maybe the last week, we'll have some good race results. We've got great race results, some great racers, R-A-Y-C-E-R-S. And we've got Bob Locke and telling his story about his journey to a super gas national championship in the last round of the last event with all of that pressure on him, Luke. Yet Bob didn't feel any of it. You guys are going to love this interview. No question. I mean, we told this story a week ago in our words, and we said, we teased, we'll get Bob on here to tell it in his words. And, and as I, I told you, and I think I told Bob at the end of our interview, I, I set the bar pretty high. Um, this exceeded it, right? So full transparency, we knew we were going to have Bob on. We, we were trying to lay out the show and we thought, well, we'll, We'll start, we'll talk about these big races last week, and we'll talk about Gulfport, we'll talk about Bakersfield, we'll close the show with Bob. We did the interview with Bob, and we thought, no, no, it's got to go first. <laughs> we got to lead with this. It's incredible. Um, you'll love it. We we tried to to tease 
Bob's humility and and perspective a week ago, and I don't think we could do it any justice. You just got to hear it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, definitely. uh, You know, the way that I felt it went down just in my mind, I was nowhere close. I mean, Bob was just out there having fun, as you'll hear him mention in his interview, and uh, really just never let the moment get to him. And it led him to the best result possible and the one that he drove for many, many hours and miles to accomplish. So really cool story. And I can't wait for the listeners to get to hear it. We've got Bob Locke, the man, the myth, the legend, Supergas world champion. We've got bottom bulb domination on the coast. We've got front engine dragsters, Big Jet, all <laughs> that and much, much more. But first, P. Jay North! All right, we spent the better part of last episode talking about him. Uh, quite a bit of time over the last month talking about him. We're joined now by the, the man, the myth, the legend himself. 2022 NHRA Supergas World Champion, Bob Locke. Hello, guys. Bob, thank you for coming hey, on, and, and congratulations, uh, first and foremost, man. Awesome run. Thank you so much. Thanks. I don't even know where to begin, Jed. I, I feel like just on some level, we know the the story recently. Like I feel like we've documented it to some extent. Obviously, I want to hear it in Bob's words, but what I don't know personally is... How did you get started in the sport? How long have you been doing this? Maybe take us back to your earliest racing memory and we'll go from there. All right. Well, my first car was 69 Camaro that we still own. So um, anybody that has a 69 Camaro in high school back in the 80s um, likes to put their foot in it. So, you know, just like anybody else, we like to monkey around on the street. And finally, we took it out to what was then Indianapolis Raceway Park one time to see what it would run. And a couple of friends would... uh, we would go out and run trophy class, which was dating me a little bit, but, uh, that's kind of what got me started. Um, after a little while, we started joining the, the bracket racing uh, realm. Uh, when we first got married, we built a car and, um, took a little while to get it to the track because we had, had kids and, uh, the car was sitting there and we were trying to figure out how we were going to afford to get it to the racetrack. But, um, eventually we did, and we started, uh, super pro racing it and, uh, had a good time with it. And that was when, Bob, what, what years, what range are we talking? Uh, that was in, um, I mean, my wife is really good with dates and she's not here. Um, <laughs> but that's going to be probably um, mid to late 90s when we started doing that. Okay. So, um, and we bracket raced a lot in the early 2000s. Excellent. Good friend of mine decided he came to me one time he'd been super gas racing a little bit and he said you know what you need to come try this and um we came out to the u.s nationals one time of course we'd been to the nationals but um, we kind of went out and hung out with him for the weekend and by the next year um, we had the car set up to run super gas and we started we started the journey at that point and that was in the camaro what point did your current corvette come into the fold uh we've owned it about eight years so we sold the camaro that's the one we bracket raced the most and uh, sold it and bought the Roadster. I've been racing it ever since. Well, you, you're talking about journeys and, and your journey in racing. But before we get into the racing, Bob, let's, let's talk about your health 
and sure. what you have gone through and I guess still going through for that matter. I don't, I don't know that you ever stopped going through something as serious as cancer. So right. tell us a little bit about what happened and, and how you found out that you had cancer. Yeah, we, we had some tests done in um, December of 20, um, 2020. I guess it was in January of 21, they came back and said, Hey, you have stage four prostate cancer. Um, as you can imagine that rocked us pretty hard. Um, a lot of people say, Hey, prostate cancer, that's the good cancer, but, um, they missed the part before that where they said stage four, um, there's no stage four cancer out there that anybody wants to have. I don't care what it is. So, um, we immediately went, um, on some very high powered medication. I was getting a monthly shot in my stomach. Um, and in August of 21, somewhere around August, J July and August, um, I had to undergo 44 radiation treatments. So, um, that was a pretty rough time. Um, you don't get sick with radiation, at least what I had like chemotherapy, but, um, but still, uh, it kind of wiped out my energy. Uh, we were still able to function. I was still working, but not as much. And, um, since then, um, all of, all of our test results have gotten better and better. Um, some of the markers that they check in your blood um, for prostate cancer have continued to improve. And right now, the, the PSA level uh, from zero to four is considered normal. Uh, the last blood test I had was at 0.3. So that's really fantastic. And the last CT scan I had showed absolutely nothing ab abnormal um, in my entire abdomen. Um, so we're really thankful for that. Still on this medicine through March of next year. Uh, at that point, they're going to pull me off of it and basically see what the body does. Um, that's going to be a pretty nerve wracking time. Um, I'm hoping to come out with something that's a maintainer, but right now there's nothing. Um, so I'm hoping that at that point, the medicine and the treatments will have done a, a job that keeps it away um, for a long, long time, if not forever. Well, yeah, we're all hopeful for that for you and many others. And just for educational purposes, Bob, what led to the doctor visit? Uh, where you found this out. Yeah, I'll, I will tell you, all, all you men, um, if you start having trouble going to the bathroom, and I mean peeing, if, if that is, if that starts slowing down for any reason or you see any change, go straight to the doctor and tell me you want a blood test. Um, that was what I noticed. And my doctor at first threw me on some medicine, um, just some typical medicine that, that's supposed to help that. Um, we didn't do a blood test first, and he should have done that, um, or we would have caught it much, much sooner. So that's what I saw. And I urge everybody, if they see those symptoms in themselves, go get a blood test. Just talking to you the little bit that we have personally, Bob, like it, it seems obvious that having gone through what you've been through in the last couple of years, sort of, I don't know if prepared is the right word, but it definitely mm -hmm. seems to have put your racing in what I feel like is the proper perspective and, and probably made what most of us would view as a pressure pack scenario, maybe a, a little bit easier to deal with. Is, is that? I, I think so. I, I, I do have a very different outlook on life. I have a very different outlook on just the day-to-day -day normal things. Um, you know, when, when you're in the midst of the, the really bad health struggle um, right after that happened, I, just the simplest things like um, I would walk out the back door, walk down the drive to the back garage, and I'd just stop in the middle of the driveway and I'd just look up and I would just be thankful that I was looking at sunshine and blue skies and 
Um, and when and when I go to the racetrack, most of the time, even still now, I might hop out of the RV and just go, wow, we get to race today. It is so cool to be here. Um, and I didn't have those sites. I, I just took, I guess I took it for granted. You don't realize what you're taking for granted. I mean, that's the definition of it. But um, yeah, a totally different outlook on just even the smallest things. Yeah, I'd imagine it puts a lot of things in perspective for sure. It does. What, what we what we think is a bad day sometimes will probably get rearranged immensely when you go through what you've gone through. Absolutely. Even in the the midst of everything that you went through in 2021, like racing wise, you had a really solid season. Like you you went to it was Virginia at the end of the year with a chance to win the division championship, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. Well, so first out of division race that we'd ever gone to. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and then transferring that into to this season, like just on the racetrack, I guess we'll, we'll start this part of the story there. You start the year with a pair of, of runner-ups on the divisional tour, Norwalk and, and Joliet, I believe, which, which concluded at Bowling Green, right? It did. Yes. Yep. And <clears throat> you then get on this, Torrid hot streak in St. Louis. The the two weeks that we spent there it was uh, semi in the national event, runner up at the first leg of the double, win the second leg of the double. Yeah, and all of a sudden, like <clears throat> you're what second in points at that point, a couple of rounds out of the lead. At at what point did a national championship even like come into your purview? Well. I didn't realize where we were national points because, you know, as somebody who just runs divisionals and, and, and that's pretty much all I plan on running, um, I don't pay attention to the, to the national points. Now, my son, Ryan, that's a different different story. <laughs> going into going into the St. Louis weekend, he goes, Dad, he says, I don't know if you've noticed, but if you could possibly squeak out 10 rounds in these two weekends of, of, of one lights, he said, you might be national top 10. And so that's when it first started clicking with me that, Hey, we might be close. And of course, as the wind lights kept coming on um, by the end of the weekend, um, he was all over it and he knew exactly where I was before we ever left the track. So. No, and at that point, like, it feels like there's decisions to be made pretty quickly. Like there was options to go somewhere the very next weekend, right. Between what was it? Dallas, Orlando, Bakersfield. I mean, everything that you could potentially go to as a, is a journey is a trip but yes. i'd imagine there was some thought before you even left st louis as to oh god what's next if there was there was we looked at we looked at dallas um but we knew we had three claims left and it just seemed like vegas vegas pomona was the even though it's clear out west was the most efficient use of our time to see what we could do so that was the first that was really the first and only thing that was on the radar and was that a, a snap easy decision or was there a lot of soul searching that went into even making that journey? Absolutely. Uh, a lot of soul searching, you know, a lot of, I, I got calls Monday from people um, that I don't normally get phone calls from. They say, Hey, when are you leaving? I said, well, we're not sure if we are yet. And they're like, no, you have to, you don't understand. You have to go try. And we got more and more, um, you know, I made a Facebook post. We're not sure if we're going to do this, but um, it was an awesome weekend in St. Louis. And the people, the fellow racers and friends just started snowballing. No, you have to. You have to go. We want you to go. And then they started saying, how can we help? We want to help you do this. And honestly, we were still a little wishy-washy until um, Randy Lynn Chip slash Butner now. Um, made her post 
And um, she says, who thinks Bob needs to do this? And that kind of lit the firestorm, quite honestly. And so now people that we weren't necessarily friends with were not only saying you need to go, they were contacting me saying we want to help. And it was, I got to tell you, it was mind blowing. Um, every time somebody said they wanted to help and actually would would contribute towards our fuel money, because that's what we threw out there. You know, this would probably swing us um, if you guys wanted to help pay for fuel. Uh, my wife and I were just so humbled. We could, we could not believe the outreach and the outpouring of support. It was so cool. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, you know, to see people, you know, obviously you had some people that were close to you that were in that contribution group. But uh, as you stated, there were people that you didn't talk to very often that was part of that. That has to be an amazing feeling, Bob. I mean, that has to that has to help you get a, a, a more clear understanding of what your journey means to people, not only in racing, but out of racing and how inspirational it is. It really did. It, it really did. We, some of the folks that we didn't know just simply said, we've had people help us along the way and we want to help you. Um, so they were sort of passing it forward, which is really cool. Um, like, like I said, we, we just felt incredibly blessed and um, probably wouldn't have gone if it weren't for that, that scenario. Yeah, and, and obviously to get to that point, I, I'm going to do a lot of assuming here, but understanding your your health challenges and the journey you were on, I'd imagine your season got started maybe a little later than normal even because of some of the things you were going through. Is that the case? or? Yeah, not, not directly contributed to health necessarily. We, we kind of wanted to go to Charlotte early on and just start our season there, uh, but the car wasn't ready. We got our motor back late. And we just weren't ready to go, and we didn't think that spending – uh, a, a weekend traveling uh, to a national event without having a couple laps on the car was probably a good idea. So we didn't get started until our divisional schedule. So you go from starting to a little later to now you're you're in a a chase for the championship and a, a journey out west. Uh, what an incredible story! And obviously, we're going to talk about how that ended. But I mean, what what was going through your mind when you were obviously seeing the outpouring of love and support coming in and knowing that this trip was actually about to happen. Well, I, I make no bones about it. Um, I'm a Christian. And when I saw all of the outpouring, which was honestly, I still feel like it's so unusual. I, I just felt like to us, that was just God saying, I want you to go do this. Um, our family motto since I've been sick is what are you waiting for? So we, we've done a lot of traveling and spent weekends away and done things. And we just felt like this was just one more of those things that God just wanted us to go do and, and wanted us to go enjoy and experience. All right. Definitely. So let's, let's backtrack and pick back up. You get through the, the incredible weekend in St. Louis, you, your son's on you. You realize like, okay, we've got a really legitimate shot at it. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but at that point, you're actually trailing me by mm -hmm. what two and a half, three rounds, something like that. It, it's not a layup if you go out west, but it's very, very attainable. Right. A week later, Phil mm -hmm. Unruh stretches that out and, and makes it to where it's harder, right? Like, I mean, he mm -hmm. he bypassed me by a couple rounds. Like, did that impact your decision at all? Or at that point, were you already committed? It didn't. We at that point we were committed. The the storm of support had already started. Um, I had a couple of people say, "Hey, did you see what Phil did? Are you still going?" And we said. 
mathematically we still have a shot. So yes, we're, we're still going to go try. But yeah, that definitely changed my outlook a little bit because he really, he really jumped way up there. It wasn't just a round or two. It was, it was a several. Right. No. And that's, I, I, the reason I bring that up is my wife had asked me shortly after Phil won Dallas and she's like, well, Bob still go like, you know, he, he stretched that out. And I said, I looked at it and just, just not as deeply I'm sure as you did, but I said, well, if he makes a final, I just, I think the way I was looking at it, like he would still pass Phil and there's no way that he would consider making that trip. If he didn't expect to go make a final, like he's still going, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, we looked at our season and we went, my goodness, we've been in, at that point, we'd been in four finals and um, we thought, well, if there's every year where we're capable, for some reason, this is the one. So I was using that as motivation and encouragement, I guess, to go on. OK, so you're riding the heels of this hot streak. You've got all of this tremendous support behind you. There's got to be a part of you, if not all of you, feeling like this is where I'm supposed to be in life. Like I'm supposed to be in Las Vegas and, and Pomona these these next three weeks. But then right. you actually you make the trip and you go. And for someone that's, that's like you said last year was the first time you raced outside of the division three footprint, right? Yes. So what's the atmosphere that for those that haven't been there, talk us through those two weeks in Vegas. Cause my recollection of that is like, it's, it's tense. Isn't the right word, but there is an electricity in the air that is not like most, most events. Is that fair? That is very fair. Um, you know, I'm not used to pulling up in the staging lanes um, and, and people, walking up to me and, and greeting me that don't know me because they knew I was coming already. Hey, you decided to make the trip, you know, so I'm starting conversations with people I don't know because they already know why I'm there and who I am. So that's unusual for me. Um, but yeah, Vegas, Vegas was pretty tense. Some of the backstory of, you know, we had a terrible weekend in Vegas, um, both weekends. Um, we were out um, early in both races and uh, first round in the national second round in the divisional. Well, we missed the first time run for the national event because, um, and this is really strange. I mean, I put tires on the car when I got to Vegas. I thought, now's the time to do it. You know, I want I want a fresh set of rubber. I was going to do it at the end of the season anyway. So I go to put the regular slick on the car. And as I'm kind of jiggling it up on the wheel studs, I hear something go clunk, clunk. And I look through the middle of the wheel and the entire rotor had broken off the hat and fallen down. Absolutely crazy. So I pull the wheel off and I'm thinking, I actually brought a rotor and a hat. Okay, fantastic. You know, in my mind, I'm going, why would this break? You know, I'm concerned about what would cause that failure because that's very unusual. So I get that back on um, and I can't squeeze the piston in on the caliper. So I have to break the bleeder loose. When I do, I get the piston in. Now, the, now that caliper will not bleed. Something was goofy about the caliper. And I have a feeling that it wasn't functioning right. Put the rotor in the binding is what ultimately caused the break. So before it was all done and, and less at fig speed in, in Las Vegas is a godsend. He is a saint. <laughs> and I know other people think that too. He had, a, he had a rotor. So we put the rotor on and I still can't get the brakes to bleed. And it's just, it's killing me. Um, he has a, another one. So I think, well, let's go ahead and put two on. So we, so we put all new brakes on the back still didn't have any brake pedal at this point um they've called super gasolines for a time run number one and i'm thinking i'm all the way two thousand miles away and i'm not even getting to the staging lanes i was pretty i was pretty wound up at this point so to finish the long story we ended up putting the master cylinder on it and it cured everything at that point 
So we made the second time run, um, made the third time run. I really needed that all three of them. And that kind of put me in a bad spot. I missed the setup on round one, totally my fault, but we were out early. So that was the beginning of just a bad Vegas. So Vegas obviously doesn't go well. And, you know, you're going to now venture farther west. Any thought whatsoever of just saying, you know what, let's just call it a season and go home. No, we, we were already out there. I had already, uh, I mean, I was entered and we actually had planned on um, my son and his wife and our daughter joining us in Pomona just in case the miracle happened. So at this point, we decided they've never been there. Um, we're all we're, we're going to go race and we're just going to have a fun family weekend and, and see what happens because we knew mathematically we still had a shot. Coming into vegas like there's three races there's there's the thought process of like if we just chip away at this you know a little bit at a time we can get there as you come into pomona it's 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 a long shot right like phil's got an a not improve which is he had a long road to hoe to, to gain a point but there's certainly no guarantee that he's not going to right. and if he doesn't improve you have to win the race so mm-hmm. what is your what's your headspace going into pomona my headspace going into Pomona was, hey, let's have some fun this weekend. We were joking after after round one when we had won and, and Phil had gone out. Um, we were joking going into the next morning that, hey, this is good. Our win percentage is up to like our chance of winning is up to like five percent now. Let's go do this, you know, because we all know that, man, the percentages are rough. And so we were we were keeping everything in perspective and just really trying to ha- prepare but have a good time. Bob, how much do you and your opponent discuss the situation you're in and, and all of this, uh, you know, points chasing that type stuff as the rounds are clicking off? How much do I discuss that with my opponents? Or how much do they try to discuss it with you? Or is it, uh, you know, no discussion at all? I don't think we had much points discussion, honestly. Um, I did talk with everybody before we raced and, you know, just kind of normal conversation. Um and we really didn't discuss points. I think everybody knew I was there for that purpose, but I don't think it really came up. Yeah, it seemed to me like it's the, the you know, field goal kicker mentality that nobody wants to talk to them, just let them go out and do what they do. It's the I, guy I guess, throwing the, the perfect game, he gets to sit by himself. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Right. I, I would think that's a level of respect that the other, that your opponents are just staying away from that subject. Don't, don't need any more pressure than you already have. Sure. I feel like on some level – the the early rounds of Pomona like there's a there's a level of freedom because like oh it's such a long shot like we can just go have fun at some point I assume that the gravity of what's at stake becomes you know as, as the rounds start clicking off the this this long shot possibility gets more and more real what was what yes. was that part of this like I, mentally I kind of cut it up into pieces okay first first step obviously round one let's get through round one and and, and try to get to Saturday. So I get up Saturday morning, and, and at that point, um, I, I kind of liked the way that the rounds were spaced out Saturday. Um, even though there was a little time in between them, it was it, it was somewhat consistent between rounds two and three and three and four. Um, so I, I just kind of liked it from a rhythm standpoint. But my goal that morning was, what's well, three rounds today? But let's let's see if we can just get through today. Let's just concentrate on these three rounds one at a time, um, not even thinking about Sunday until 
we got to the end of the day. And obviously, the, Sorry, I was going to say, obviously, you know, you're you're to that point now and you're racing on Saturday and you turn on the wind light to get you to Sunday. What what was going through your mind at that time? I mean, could you feel the pressure, Bob, or did you were you still just having fun? Honestly, I was still just having fun Here, because here's the deal. Going into the weekend, even if we didn't improve and I really wanted to improve, I at least wanted to catch Luke because I didn't want the trip to be in vain. You know, I didn't want to leave home and come back in the same spot. But the reality of it is I was going to finish third nationally. Um, my goodness, how could I possibly not be happy for that? So but when we get to the end of Saturday, um, again, my son comes up to me and he goes, Dad, I think you're tied with Luke. He says, I thought you'd be ahead of him, but there weren't 64 cars. So I think you're tied with Luke, but I think you have the tiebreaker. So going into Sunday, I was already, again, I don't want, I'm going to say content. I don't want that to sound like I wasn't hungry for it, but I was content. I'd already made an improvement at that point. So, wow, I'm second now. This is good. Let's go see if anything else will happen. But, but to say that I was nervous um, or that I had a really heavy weight on my shoulders, I never really felt it. Um, again, as a, as a Christian, I'm just going to tell you, for me, that comes from God. Um, he gives me, he gave me such incredible peace um, during this whole weekend. And he put everything into perspective for me. He made me appreciate what we had accomplished up to this point. And then by the end of Saturday, again, he was reminding me and we were just going to race and see what happens. I think for most racers, the hardest part of Sunday at a national event is you wake up and you're excited like we're in on Sunday and then it's I assume it's 2 2 30 in the afternoon something like that before you run your semifinal round which is the first yes. round of Sunday yeah for in an average situation I think that can be there's a lot of thoughts that can go through your mind I can only imagine with what <laughs> you you know had potentially on the on the table that train of thought over the course of those I don't know six seven hours on Sunday before yeah. you ever get to strap in Right. What I, what I did do that I don't normally do is I woke up Sunday morning. I don't remember what time it was. It was probably seven o'clock. Um, and I got up and I went outside. It's pretty chilly, but I got up and I went outside and I walked. I walked most of the perimeter of the grounds while it was quiet. There were very few people stirring around and I just wanted to experience the peacefulness of the facility before it got chaotic. And I knew that it could be chaotic for us. And obviously any race day is loud and noisy and busy. And um, I think walking around and, and, and kind of centering myself a little bit that morning was really helpful. Yeah, I'm sure uh, there's a, I can't remember who sings the song, but there's a, there's a old country gospel song called me and god and it's one of the lines yeah. is early in the morning talking it over just me and god so i'm yeah. guessing you you were out there getting your peace and absolutely your calmness and getting ready to go do battle obviously yep. several hours later as luke mentioned I, you know that that sunday had to have just a little bit of tension in it but it sounded like you were processing it extremely well and and giving yourself the best opportunity but Bob, what, what we haven't talked about thus far is how deadly you were. I mean, you and the car 
were just making killer laps. You know, this was this was an extraordinary effort when you think about all all the things involved, but just in its own right. It, I mean, it was an incredible performance anytime, anywhere. Uh, you were just laying down some crazy good laps. Thanks. Yeah, the, the, the car definitely came around. Um, I didn't realize till afterwards, um, with the exception of one, I think, 005. Um, I think my lights of the rest of the rounds were um, in, com- in, in, in eliminations were between 18 and 23. That's, that's all I varied all day. While those aren't killer lights, those are solid lights, and, and they were enough to get the job done. When you're pairing them with dead on, um, you know, that works out really well. <laughs> that's true. Very true. Uh, so we talked a little bit about the, I don't know, anxiety is the right word. It doesn't seem like you had a ton of that, but leading into that semifinal round, the wind light in the semis comes on. That's got to be a, an amazing wind light. Like at, at oh. how long did you let yourself enjoy that before thinking about the gravity of the one round yet to come? Honestly, we got right back to the trailer. I got back to the trailer and um, family comes back on the golf cart. Um, and Ryan and I have a routine. I mean, he, it, it, the main reason I wanted him out there is because he and I have worked together in a certain way all year long. Um, that has made me a better racer. And I knew that, honestly, I wasn't sure I could pull this off without him there. So we get back to the trailer and um, I hop off, I put my run in and they show up. And, and honestly, we, we went right back to work because the, we knew the next round was coming soon. Um, and so we went right back to work. I really didn't think about, oh my gosh, we're in the final um, at that point. And, and waiting in that final, like it's uh, not that there's ever going to be a good draw in the final round, but it's a man that's recently won the national championship himself. That yeah. is also super hungry. Like he, he, he's not won a national event, right? So that there's, right. there's always something to race for in the other lane, but obviously there's plenty of incentive for him too. Uh, and, and I can't, I've never <laughs> staged for a single round with as much riding on it as you had yourself. Like take me up to that final, like the call to the lanes, sitting in the lanes, like what's going through your mind? You know, several, several things that you have said that I've heard over the last year, um, resonated with me. And um, I know you're big on quotes. Um, and I know here lately, you've put a lot of quotes out there about pressure. So I think I figured maybe you were thinking about some of this, some of these scenarios, but um, of course, we're from Indy. And when the Colts won their first Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, um, I don't, I don't remember quotes a lot, but I remember, and I, and I guess the history of this is his dad told him this at one point, but you know, before the Super Bowl was going to be played outside in Miami, uh, the forecast was bad, so he spent his um, practices uh, with wet footballs. He would make Jeff Saturday dunk the football in a in, in a bucket of water before he snapped it. So he was throwing wet footballs, and it turns out the Super Bowl was played in the pouring down rain, and of course they end up winning. But but the quote is, "You don't need to be nervous if you feel like you've prepared all that you can prepare." Um, and that really stuck with me. Um, so I don't know if you've ever shared that quote or not, but I figured it would, it would resonate with you too. Um, and that went through my mind often, um, when we, when we were getting ready and I, and I felt like round by round and especially even leading up to the final round, uh, I felt like we had prepared, um, all that we could to be able to, to, to make each pass. And you're, you're obviously now to the point where the final round is coming up and 
as Luke said, you, you've got, you know, an, an extremely difficult opponent. Did you change anything? I, I know your mindset was solid and consistent. What about in your setup? Did, did you say, all right, I got to get more aggressive here? And, or did you say, you know, what's got me here is what I'm going to ride with? So, Well, I felt like we were not going to have the tree in the final uh, because um, Brian's lights um, all day long had been much better than mine. His lights had been very good. Um, so we kind of developed a strategy a little bit, um, thinking that we may not have the tree. Um, turns out that we did. We both got up. We both got up to the uh, to the lanes, and, and we had both went down the left lane. Um, and I was concerned because of the time of day that the sun would really hurt me um, because the sun. I didn't realize that Pomona at that time of day is definitely shining on the person in the left lane. So uh, we were able to get the right lane. When we did, I had a hunch maybe I might have the tree. So um, we didn't change a whole lot about the way we were going to race at that point, but, but thinking we might have the tree definitely um, changed my mentality and, and maybe some of the decisions I might have made going down track. All right, so the call goes out, suit up. You pull through that freaking gate at Pomona that gives me goosebumps <laughs> when I pull through it for a time trial, much less final round of the, of the world finals, much less for a chance to win a national championship. Right. Just take me through the, the round from that moment on, everything that you remember. It's probably fairly vivid. It is. Um, I knew that um, the, the, the other pair before us in the semis, including Brian, they had a staging duel. Um, and, and I have a slow routine anyway. So um, I do my burnout and I roll up and I figured I'm slow to begin with. So probably by the time I'm up there, he's going to be up there. And, and um, I don't think I really changed my routine any, but it, but it, it did all just kind of flow at that point. Um, and I, I know I went in first, he went in right behind me um, and we let go. And, and I felt like we were pretty close to one another. I'm not the best at telling where I am on the tree, but um, I felt like we were, we were probably pretty close at that point. Um, yeah. And heading on down the track, um, we crossed the finish line and my wind light comes on and Ryan asked me later, he says, dad, why weren't you, why weren't you pumping your fist and screaming in the car? But what had just happened was so surreal at that point. I think it all just crashed on me at one time. And all I did was I, I was just completely in, in peace and quiet in the car. Um, normally I'd be fist bumping and, and screaming and yelling, but I went through um, quiet, um, not doing much other than getting off the track. And if, and if you see the video, it wasn't until the car almost stopped that I finally screamed and pumped my fist a couple of times um, that I finally let it out. But uh, yeah, it was just very surreal. It just all kind of culminated all at once when that light came on. It was just, I, I want to say surprising to some degree, but um, exciting more than anything. Yeah, I can only imagine, um, you know, what uh, what's going through your mind when you let go as you're going down the track and then your wind light comes on. You know, I, I've I've turned on some important wind lights to me, but nothing anywhere close to what you did. And I, you know, I can remember in the moment, it's like, did my wind light really come on? I mean, I think I saw it, but right. did it really come on? And, mm -hmm. you know, you're questioning all of that. So there was probably that would stop some of the celebration in itself. Yes. But, 
but you make the turn, realize that that you've won not only the the world finals, uh, but you've also accomplished the ultimate goal that you went out there to accomplish. What was that feeling? You said it took you just a little bit to pump your fist and celebrate and yell, but what was that feeling like once you got to your family, Bob, or they got to you, I guess? Yeah, I, I hop out of the car. And um, of course, they're walking over with the Wally and the, and the medallion, and they put the medallion on me, and they snap a couple pictures. But then, guy tells me walk over here to the edge of the red carpet, you know. And so I'm standing there waiting um, for them to tell me what to do next. And I see my family coming from the distance, and that's when on the golf cart, and that's when it really hit me. I that's when the emotions start pouring. Um, I, I really got emotional standing there, seeing them coming, realizing. Holy cow, this just happened. This, did this really happen? It really did. It just happened. Um, they jump off the golf cart, screaming and yelling, just like the starting line. And, um, and we have a, a very cool moment, um, all five of us. And uh, it, it was just something special. I'm really glad for the photographers around there. And uh, again, Randy Lynn, who, who videoed all of that, even at the, at the big end of the track. It's just, those are just really special memories. And like the pageantry surrounding a national event win for one is a big deal. And then you combine it's the last race of the year. You clinch the championship, all the pageantry around that. You've got the banquet the next day. Like it's a lot, but that had to happen in a very truncated timetable. Like take me through a processing that. And then, I mean, I would imagine just a matter of like getting your tucks and all of that in order was kind of a a run the next morning, no? It really was. And again, I, I keep saying Randy Lynn, but Randy Lynn and Bo really, really fostered us through this process. Um, we were back at the trailer. My wife's phone rings. It's, it's Randy Lynn. Hey, you have a room at the Pachanga Resort tonight and tomorrow. Holy cow. Okay. So now we're going to talk about, well, hold on. What are we going to do tonight? You know, because that's an hour away. We don't have a, well, we did have a rental car at that point, but um, Ryan and his wife had to be back to fly out the next morning. Um, we were trying to consider travel time back and forth and, um, yeah, what do we do about a tux? There was a guy here measuring all weekend, but I didn't get measured. I didn't get measured. I didn't think I had to get measured, but oh my gosh, I, I need to get measured. So we get up to, so we decided to, to, to go out to dinner and celebrate that evening and stay at the track. Um, Dylan Mudd, who helps, um, Bo a lot. He, he drives the car over from the, from the resort um takes us back to the resort uh we ended up taking the rental car over to the tuck shop in the morning and those people are incredible i walked in there i got helped 10 minutes later and 20 minutes after that i was walking out with a tux so um so we had to get the tux uh, my wife had actually brought a dress um, so she was set but our daughter ended up staying so they had to run to the mall find something for her to wear and uh it, it was a whirlwind we got to the divisional banquet um i actually ended up going up and they showed up about 20 minutes after that because that they, they were just in the 11th hour getting ready so but fun my gosh it was it was fun yeah i mean obviously uh that's uh that's the the kind of rush that you want to be in and <laughs> i'm sure the tux people are pros at putting those things together last minute but yeah, all that happens you you get the banquet and and celebrate your journey, your championship. And now you've got the ride home. Yes. Uh, 
tell us about the ride home. Obviously, it's probably a little bit of a shorter trip once you've you've won the national championship. <laughs> well, it felt like forever because we were really ready to be home. I mean, we were gone for 26 days total by the time we got home. And uh, we were really ready to be home. Um, I will say, I think we watched the video of the final round about 20 times on the way home. <laughs> I, would, I would start playing it and I'd say, honey, let's see if we win again. You know, <laughs> it was just... <laughs> It was just, it was just cool. So yeah, it, it was a long ride home, but um, it was also just a whole lot of fun. We talked about so many aspects of the weekend and it was just a great time for my wife and I to rehash what was undoubtedly one of the coolest moments in, in our lives together. That's for sure. Do you think you uh, finally figured out the capacity of your social media tags and your text <laughs> messages? <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe so. I imagine that was quite a lot of, uh, of attention coming your way. It was. When we got up to the lanes um, after we had won before pictures, I finally had asked him, I said, my phone's back at the trailer. Will somebody go get it? I have a feeling it's probably on fire. Um, and it was. And uh, there were so many messages and so many texts. Um, I could not respond to each of them individually. I had to make a general post and I hated that, but I lost track of them. People were saying things on, on other people's posts, and I, I couldn't find them all. I couldn't possibly respond. Um, and again, it was so humbling to hear that so many people were watching and rooting us on on NHRA TV. Um, just just in, incredibly humbling to know that that many people were behind us. One more question with all of that in consideration. Did you, did you look at your phone or social media as the round winds were coming, were you paying much attention to that or did you want to try to avoid that? I pretty much stayed off of social media. Um, I had my phone and I had just a couple, three people, um, key people that were, that were texting me um, at times. But I will say after um, that fifth round Sunday morning, I set my phone over on the trailer edge and I didn't touch it. Um, I did not look at it one more time at that point. I, I just had to separate my Great idea. <laughs> great idea yeah bob like we we told your story last week and it's it's just incredible but to hear you tell it's almost like it's so i've always thought this when whenever we've talked in person like you're just such a, a humble human being like it just seems like to hear you say it is kind of downplays the whole thing this is freaking <laughs> incredible man like we've never seen this you know sure. what i mean i don't i don't think anybody's ever come into pomona had to win the race in the sportsman categories and actually pulled it off so i don't want that to get lost on anybody particularly you know, <laughs> like, congratulations it's incredible stuff i appreciate that the, the one thing i was going to tell you earlier that that you say a lot that you really love about the sport is when you get to stage for the rounds that matter. And, and I heard that often that day, hey, we're gonna get, we get to go stage for another round that matters. Um, and, and, and that just, my gosh, that just makes it so fun. So fun. Yeah, obviously, it, you know, you, <laughs> I, I, told, I told my version of it or what I, the way I thought it went down last week and I was putting all this pressure on you and it's, amazing how bob performed with all this pressure and you know it just you could reach in there and at some point a diamond was going to come out just because it was so <laughs> pressure packed and then here you are with this all shucks we're just having fun and you know i was relaxed and just going out there and enjoying every round i, I like your i like your take of it way better than than the way i predicted it went but, well uh, i've I mean, let really myself amazing 
things. I've let myself get nervous before and it impacts the way I drive. Um, no doubt. It really, it really does. And uh, there was just too much at stake um, to let myself get out of control with nerves. And um, thankfully, um, we were able to have peace all day. We should all be so fortunate to, to be able to find that peace within ourselves when the pressure is building and the moments are getting larger and larger. Yeah. Uh, truly uh, just makes the journey even more amazing to listen to uh -huh. your, your story and how it, it finished up for you. Just truly incredible. Thank you. Thanks. I know you mentioned several names, family members and friends along the way. We want to give this platform to, I'm sure you've got people that, that you want to thank specifically. So ha have at it. All right. Well, you know, those of us that are married and race as much as we race, if we didn't have a wife that loved it and didn't love watching us compete. Um, I mean, my wife loves to enable me to race as much as I love to race. And that is a rare, rare thing. Um, we've been married 30 years, so we're a good pair. Um, so first and foremost, it's gotta be her. Um, but, but, um, as far as directly, um, my son, um, Brian, he, uh, I couldn't have done this without him. He, he helps me strategize and crunch numbers and figure things out. Um, so that when we go up, we have scenarios planned and, um, without him, there's, there's just no way I did. I would say if he wasn't there, I would have gotten a lot more nervous, but he was figuring things out. So I didn't have to in those moments. So he was, he was fantastic. Um, of course, my rest of my family, our daughter and, and Ryan's wife, Jordan, um, just genuinely, genuinely excited to be there. Um, and you can see that in the videos when, uh, when the wind lights come on, um, love them to death. Um, my great friends, Scott Deffenbaugh and Brian Shockley, um, were um, key in checking with me throughout the day. And, uh, those were the ones that mostly were sending me text messages and, um, just a wonderful pair of of guys to have in your corner. Um, so those, th those are the key people. Those, I would say those are the key people. We have so many people back home and, and family as well. Um, I have a brother that has come to me, come with us often to the racetrack, um, Rick, and he, um, he couldn't be there, obviously, um, was far away and, and he just couldn't, couldn't do that. But no one could be more genuinely excited for, for our success than him. And uh, he, he's a special brother. All right. So given, let me, let me frame it like this. Bob Locke, you just won the NHRA world championship. What are you going to do next? Like given time restraints, <laughs> I assume Disneyland was, was out of the picture, right? Had, oh, we had to get on the road back home, but what is, what's the plan going forward? What's 2023 going to look like? You know, we talked about Disneyland ironically, but we've been gone so long that we had to come home. Because uh, I joked with her at one point, I said, if we win this thing, we're going to Disneyland. Um, but we didn't, obviously. Um, 2023, um, my gosh, you have to go racing because I don't have to pay for any of it, right? So um, I have to go. It's, it'd be silly not to. So our plan is to, uh, we'll, fill our, we'll fill our quotas with nationals and divisionals, and um, we might as well, and, and have fun with it um, and, and see, where, see where it leads. Well, first and foremost, we're hoping that this this next checkup 
tells you that the medicine has done what it's supposed to do and you are on a, a journey with many, many years left in it uh, with good health, but uh, whatever your whatever your racing ends up being in 2023, uh, we can't help but pull for you, Bob. Um, <laughs> just remarkable story, uh, inspirational journey to, to many of us and certainly, um, you know, hoping that that you can duplicate that but to me based on what i'm hearing from you right now that that doesn't even matter <laughs> it just sounds like you're gonna go out and give it what you got and then you know live with the results and have a great time again in 2023 uh, that that's our plan you know we are anybody who races at this level is so blessed to be able to do it there's a lot of people who would want to do what we do and can't so um i don't take a minute for granted um and we should all really be thankful for every moment we get to spend doing what we're so passionate about. Good stuff. Now that I'm knowing how you approach racing and, and watching the success that you've had, there's no doubt in my mind that there is much more on the horizon. There will be many more rounds that matter. With that said, if, if, if there's never another wind light in your, in your future, no one can ever take, 2022 away from you, <laughs> or specifically the last month or maybe specifically the last the last weekend like that's incredible stuff that's a memory that is going to be etched in in your mind and, and the minds of your families forever so that's special stuff man yeah appreciate that that is, that is very true what is done is done and we are what a ride and we are thankful and as luke says bob Next year, don't let anybody call you the defending champion. You're the reigning champion because you ain't <laughs> defending nothing. That's your championship, and it will always be your championship. Good point. Appreciate that. So make sure they know you're reigning, not defending. Okay. Fair enough. Bob, thanks a ton for giving us your story, giving us some time, and just telling us about your journey in 2022. It was truly incredible. Again, inspirational, and we're wishing you nothing but the best going forward. Well, thank you both for having me. It's been fun and uh, appreciate what you guys do for, for the racing community in general. All right, Bob. Have a great night. Thanks. You too. Ooh, I don't know how we follow that big Chad. Thanks again to, to Bob Locke for coming on and, and sharing his story. That's just, it's more, in, it's an incredible story to begin with. I think it's more incredible coming from his mouth. Yeah. Like such a genuine man and, and somebody that, you know, is everything, the way he approaches racing and life is everything you want to be yourself. Uh, it was just an inspirational story to say the least and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, definitely going to talk about some big money bracket races that were on the schedule from the weekend, but uh, I don't, uh, even though there were some great performances, I don't know anything compares to what we just listened to from Bob Locke. Really incredible story. Definitely difficult to follow, but as you said, we, we do have some, some big dollar bracket racing that is in the books from last weekend obviously or at least it's obvious to me jed because it's been cold where i live where we're trying to talk about is two divergent coasts but they got they you had to get close to water to race last weekend yeah you did obviously in gulfport mississippi and bakersfield california and i don't know what the weather was like in bakersfield but i did take a peek at gulfport and for gulfport mississippi in november it was cold it was real cold i know when those guys were trying to get started at you know eight nine o'clock in the morning it might have been around 40 degrees feeling like in the high 30s and that's not something they're used to so weather definitely impacted how the event there in gulfport was handled the, the turkey beach bash 
Uh, that's uh, Galen Rollison now that has taken over Gulfport Dragway. It's his track, along with Tommy Castaneda and certainly Britt Cummings always in the mix when uh, Galen's got something going on. Those guys had the Turkey Beach Bash, Luke, and it was scheduled to be a free five grander on Friday and then a 20 grander on Saturday and a 20 grander on Sunday with, I think, a 250 car or so uh, cap on the event. Obviously, the weather was uh, was something that people could see happening. Saturday was a washout. So I think that impacted the crowd a little bit. But I still believe they got uh, around 200 or a little better entries, which was a pretty darn good crowd for knowing that uh, it was going to be challenging due to weather. But big performances, Luke. We'll start out with a Friday free 5K. Uh, that's the way the event started, which, you know, we should start with that. And Super Pro was Jesse Marceau getting the win over Roy Stewart. I like it when we go in chronological order, Jed. Yeah. Makes yeah. Easy. Yeah. We should start in the first day. <laughs> um, so uh, so Jesse got the win over Roy there in the, the top bulb final round. Bottom bulb, Luke, they would race until there was one left. And then the bottom bulb winner would advance into the next round of the top bulb category. That uh, bottom bulb win was Taylor Pofel. I don't know how you pronounce that last name, so I'm just taking a shot at it. I apologize, Taylor. Got the win over his good friend, Taylor Bowling, which has been on quite the heater in 2022. So a Taylor-Taylor final round, and uh, Taylor Pofel advanced to the to the later rounds of Super Pro before he bowed out. So good way to start the event. Again, they had a 20-grander on Saturday, 20-grander on Sunday. Luke, they could see that Saturday was going to be a challenge. They were going to be able to get started with Saturday's program, but no way they were going to finish it, and that was going to rain into the early hours Sunday morning. So the uh, the team, the, the, the minds got together and said, let's just have 140 grander. We'll start it today. We'll finish it tomorrow. Try to get everybody home at a decent time, and I think their plan worked perfectly. They paid $40,000, uh, had a good crowd of racers, battling for it i think they got themselves to the third round on saturday where they stopped there and finished it on sunday and luke i just talked about how they do the bottom ball program lo and behold 2022 the year of the bottom bulber and in this case he was foot breaking at that with no electronics lucas walker took out kyle rumley Kyle had a bottom bulb entry and a top bulb entry. This was his top bulb entry. Took him out in the final for $40,000. And Luke, when I say that Lucas performed well, the final was absolutely perfect. Perfect reaction, dead on with a zero, perfect run, sends him to his biggest win to date a $40,000 victory in a top bulb race swapping feet. Incredible performance by an incredible racer. He laid out nothing. I knew he had a perfect light. He had a perfect run. Perfect run. <laughs> yeah. Swapping feet. Seven o'clock at night in Gulfport, a long way from Mayfield, Kentucky. And just said, you know what? I'm just going to take this thing all the way to the, to the winner's circle with a perfect run. Uh, Rumley had a great performance uh, all day from what I understood and um, come up short to obviously an unbeatable run in the final round, but pretty cool. Those guys uh, live in the same region of the country. Um, 
you know, I, I don't, they're, they're 50 miles or so, I guess, from one another. So that was what stood out to me. Like they, they both converge on like the Gleason Paducah area. They can't live too far apart and they both live a long way from Gulfport. Pretty cool to, to see them make the journey down there. I think that's probably 500 ish miles from home and then, and then meet up in the final. And um, to your point on Lucas, like, I don't, I, I guess you never would pull up beside Lucas Walker and think like, okay, I feel pretty good about this. Right. But no. just like using the typical box mentality, I got the no box car in the final. Like I like my chances, but I don't nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty incredible stuff. And those two, I feel like Lucas's year has been a little bit more well-documented and perhaps on a little bit bigger stage. Kyle Rumley has had a tremendous season racing, yes. you know, for the most part close to home. Uh, but this just kind of puts the the cherry on top of what has been a standout year for him as well. Yeah, Kyle has has had a wonderful year. Definitely has collected his share of big checks and uh, made plenty of final rounds. Nothing on this scale, forty grand final there with his buddy Lucas. But uh, Kyle definitely has had one of the better seasons for you know guys that don't travel the circuit so to speak uh kyle uh, he definitely gets out he, he came to bristol he definitely gets out and makes his rounds at some events here and there but um tremendous year by him but lucas you know when you think about lucas having a great start to his year in vegas um you know with a uh, i guess a 30 grand win out there and wrapping it up with a 40 grand win and plenty of great days in between luke i i think you'd find it hard to find a a racer on the bottom that has had a better season than lucas walker i mean he you know we talked about racer of the year type stuff uh recently in a show with the top bulbers but i don't know that you'd find anybody that that only hits the bottom that only foot breaks that's had a better season than lucas walker yeah i mean if 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 anything, it's a 1A, 1B with Hastings, or do you think Lucas has lapped what, what Nick's done this season? I know for, for Nick, it's been an off year, but an off year for Nick Hastings is still pretty impressive when you step back from it. Yeah, Nick's had 200 grand finals, one of those he, he was victorious in and one he came up short in. So in terms of um, how it hit the, the Richter scale, you know, Nick has definitely had that type of season that nobody could say they were better than. But in terms of just winning significant races and doing it with the consistency that you would expect out of the racer that you're going to say had the best season, I think that's Lucas. I really do. I, I really believe he's had that type of year. Uh, Taylor Bowling has definitely been on a heater again, as we mentioned. So congratulations, Lucas Walker. Amazing performance. Um, the guys, Luke, again, Britt, Galen, Tommy, come together, worked hard down there. Those three guys were out on the racetrack drying it Sunday morning at 4 or 5 a.m., doing everything they could to give the racers the, the best experience they could give them. And with the weather and the crowd being just a little bit lighter than what they had expected or hoped for, as they always do, those guys, Galen and his team, paid the full purse, paid every penny of it, and – you know, that's just something that that they're becoming known for, even when things aren't um, don't match up on the car count that that they advertise the payout for. 
they still step up and, and do what they need to do and pay out a lot of money. So definitely kudos to those guys. And all in all, I think you couldn't ask for a better event turnout and, and ending with uh, the weather and, and some of the challenges that, that it was obvious they were going to have. All right, that's Gulfport. Let's let's teleport plumb across the country, Bakersfield, California, for the West Coast Classic. That's the the Chris Forsyth event that uh, I think has been on the on the shelf for a couple of years. This was originally at Fontana. Just this season, moved to to Bakersfield because obviously out of necessity, Fontana is no more. Uh, looks like a good crowd there with some very familiar faces in the winter circle. Winter circle there as well. Yeah, no doubt. As it was, uh, as you said, it was their first year back. 2019 was their last event. Moved to Famoso this year. We know California and COVID had a special relationship that uh, shut down a lot of things out there. Fontana, the track was shut down due to it, and then eventually the property was sold. But those guys, uh, Chris Forsyth and his team, came back strong. 246 entries Friday, 268 on Saturday, 255 on Sunday. A really strong uh, crowd and and showing of support for the West Coast Classic, but Luke, it was uh, it it was the race kid show. There's a there was a you know a big winner in the main event on Saturday, but it was the race kid show uh, outside of that 120 grander. I don't know where he went, but it's safe to say race kid is back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know if he left, but he's <laughs> definitely back. Uh, had. 10K on Friday, race gets that done, uh, wins day one, starts it out with a $10,000 victory. And race is no stranger to big money winter circles, Luke, but on the West Coast, those opportunities for 10 or more are limited. And when you're when you're a West Coast guy that ventures east on occasion, 10 grand, that's a big race to anyone, but it's a big deal out there. Race started his week very well by, uh, by getting that $10,000 win. But that was just the tip of the iceberg, Luke, to what he did on Sunday. I mean, you know, running yourself in a final round is a challenge, no matter how many cars or where you're racing. But to do it on that stage with that on the line, another 10 grander on Sunday, and he takes both of his entries to the final round, um, capped off a pretty incredible season for him, Luke. But I mean, really running yourself in that final is is the best result you could possibly hope for. Probably don't expect, but he's adding that to a great, great year on the racetrack. No question. I, I think it's it's easiest to highlight races season with that big win. I think it's a 50 grander, 100 grander at Darlington. I think a 50 grander. Um, yeah, it was 50. There in, in September, and and I think his, his first – big win on the the east coast if you will which i know for for those of us with the east coast bias like that that solidified a lot of things right but specific to their geography where where race and his father mark compete you know they're they're based out of idaho if you just take everything west of texas like there's a handful of races a year that that matter on the big dollar bracket scene out there right it's it's the two four size events it's obviously the spring fling million and then if we're going to include division six where they're located it's the the night fires at boise and it's the night of fire at woodburn like that's pretty much it and with the exception of spring fling million race kid like made significant noise at every event 
right? He does this definitely two 10 grand victories, runs himself in the final, the last one at Boise Nightfire. He nearly runs the table, gets a little bit overshadowed by his buddy that, that beats him in the in the points runoff. He won a day at the Woodburn Night of Fire. In addition to driving to the East Coast and, and claiming that 50 grand at Darlington, it's when you zoom out from that, that's that's a feat that I don't know has ever been duplicated. You know, I mean, that that's a lot of travel, obviously, but a ton of big wins without, um, we talked about Peter Biondo, like the, the stage to win percentage. Like there's not many people that, that won at that level that got light, fewer opportunities throughout the season than race kid. And I think it's worth noting. That's an incredible year. Yeah, really good point. Uh, definitely does not get the opportunities that the East Coast hitters get, yet he's just as talented as anyone east of the Mississippi. And he shows that when he gets out here, out this way to race, but uh, dominating performance by him. And, you know, winning a 10K, then winning another 10K, running yourself in the final is a really big deal. But the one guy that could win Saturday's 20 that would match that level of attention happened to do it luke yeah yeah uh jeff sarah won the 20 that yeah that jeff sarah uh, oh you talking sarah. about east coast jeff sarah pennsylvania jeff sarah yeah okay. he showed up at bakersfield and 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 he showed out at bakersfield the the one thing that race kid didn't win jeff sarah did and oh by the way it was the twenty thousand dollar to win main event yeah i mean jeff sarah obviously making a long trip out and uh going out to run the West Coast Classic and making that payoff with that 20K main event win. Um, Luke, the guy is just really remarkable what he's able to go out and do in a race car. But the final round, I mean, tell Dude. us a little bit about that. That was, I mean, I, you're kind of showing your cards here. I think it was um, um, at the end of last week's show, right? The the AMA, like who who's your favorite racer or something like that. And I said, the guy I like to watch the most is Jeff Sarah, right? Just because he does it in an unconventional way. And I, I I just love it, right? It's 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 very entertaining to me. Well, to that end, I see, I just happened to be scrolling through social media and I see that Jeff Sarah's double entered late at Bakersfield. And I was, uh, my, my wife went shopping last week with, with her family, they made their annual pilgrimage to, to Nashville to go Christmas shopping. So it's just me and the boys, right? Ah, let's, let's check out YouTube. So I turn on the, this is how, this is obviously I've, I've talked about this before. And I always talk about how much I don't really care for the live feeds. And then I keep telling these stories like, yeah, we're sitting on the couch watching the race. Right. So we turn on Bakersfield and I watch Jeff Sarah, I, I tune in in time to watch Jeff Sarah make the buy run at seven. And I believe he goes 447 in Shane Thompson's dragster, which obviously flown out there and, and driven, I believe for the first time. And in the semifinals, he's paired up with Jonathan Fiello, standout West Coast racer, who was having a hell of a day, Jed. Fiello was in both Super Pro for 20 grand and Pro for 7,500 off the bottom, going to the semis in both, in the same car, making nasty laps, right? And uh, 560, I think, is what Fiello was going in his Nova. They get paired up, and Jeff Sarah dials 448, a very, very mild you know, Jeff Sarah, unlike Jeff Sarah dialing, but it's like, ah, oh, that makes sense. Like, this is the dude that's been making really good runs. Jeff has to make a good lap here, right? Jonathan Fiello lays down 15 total, and his win light does not come on. Sarah's six, dead eight, or something like that. I think it's one thousand strike. Oh. Roll around for the, the final round, and <laughs> let me see how I can frame this, because 
I, I've been, I've raced on the West coast and, and I know everybody out here is like, ah, it's, it's like going back in time. It's easy. It's, it's not easy, right? There's, there's good racers everywhere. Right. But if you're watching from afar, this is a very stereotypical West coast final. There's a freaking front engine dragster <laughs> in the final round yet. I mean, I don't know how else to shoot now having been there. Like I've raced with this dude, the, the, the man that ran it up. I'm sorry. I don't have his name in front of me to Terrace, I think. And uh, like he's the only front engine car there, right? It's not a common thing. And the dude makes good runs. Obviously, he's in the final for 20 grand, right? But you got Jeff Sarah against front engine car. Jeff Sarah rolls up for the final, and I had to do a double take. And like I'm expecting he's going to dial up. My man dialed 456. Oh, my goodness. He just went dead on 448. He just showed us he could go 447. And just in case you were thinking like, oh, there's some trickery there. Like he's slowed it on down. He's he's done something to manipulate this. There's no way he's holding a 10th. Opponent goes red in the final. Jeff Sarah, just, I, I'm thinking like, I'm going to put words in his mouth. I feel like it's one of those where the red light came on and his car hit the tires. And I can just picture his hand out the cage pointing at the scoreboard going, hey, y'all look at this. <laughs> 447, nine under. I love it. I freaking love it, Jen. You know, and the crazy thing is, you know, the car is deadly. You, you just right. talked about the 47 on the by run, 48. He probably killed a little, was going 47 there and can go 47 every time it goes down the track. And yet you still put nine hundreds in the bag for whatever reason and make it work out. He's a, His style is unique and it's aggressive and bold. And by God, it works, Luke. It works. Why? Why does Jeff? Why does Jeff Sarah demand on on holding nine hundreds in the final, Jed? Because he can. Yeah, same reason a, a puppy licks his wiener, Big Jed. Same reason. <laughs> that dog will bite you. Be careful. Oh my god, it, it's just really? so fun to watch. All right, so the 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 money went away from Bakersfield, California, with with non locals, right? Race kid Jeff Sarah. Andy Schmall got in on the action, right? Another guy that's had a tremendous season off the bottom. Andy Schmall won day one um, of the, the pro category. Steve Shear did score one for the locals. He won the, the pro main event, $7,500 bottom ball race on uh, Saturday. And then uh, ran Roger Phillips, another name that we've talked about. It was uh, Roger Phillips that ran the table at the Division 7 ET finals back in 2021. Uh, he scored one for the, the semi-local crowd as well. Uh, winning the Sunday no box category over the aforementioned Andy Schmall. Yeah, Luke, and one more tidbit of info on Jeff Sarah. Um, Jake Hodge, and this, this got pointed out to me yesterday, I believe. Jake Hodge had posted on Facebook that Jeff Sarah was, was out there and going to run the race, and he was betting anyone that wanted to bet that Sarah was going to win the big day, the 20 grander. And anybody that wanted to bet, it was Jake's hundred versus your hundred. And he gave you a team of five West coasters that you could pick. And they were going against his one driver. And he took five of those bets for a $500 total. And what did his guy do, Luke? He, he won, won the damn race. race. <laughs> <laughs> on the damn race. And, you know, that turned into a little bit of East Coast, West Coast sure. uh, arguing or debating on Facebook. We know the West Coast has plenty of talent. There's no doubt about that. But 
you know, guys like Jeff Sarah, I mean, they're they're basically making their living doing this. I mean, Jeff's got other stuff he's involved in, but it's just a little bit different. And, you know, these guys see it all all year long out here, all the tricks and all the games. And I think it just makes them a little bit better racers as a whole than the West Coast. But if you take the best on the West and the best on the East, I don't know how that's going to work out 10 out of 10 runs. It might be six to four East Coast if you just take the best versus the best. But I think by and large, there are, because there's so many more people that get to race these types of races out here, I just think there's more talent in numbers, not necessarily in ability. I think that's fair. Like if you go, field wide there's probably a little bit more depth at the big dollar races on the east coast than there is on the west coast but to your point the how good is your good like the the best racers anywhere uh and and i'll include the west coast in this like they could hold their own anywhere and and i know it's a small sample size but whether it's race kid or, or chris whitfield or if you go back in time a little bit sean langdon or or val torres for that matter like they, they've proven that time and time again and to like, we kind of laugh at what Jeff Sarah goes out there and does, but that's not to throw shade at any of the West Coast guys. Like, Jeff Sarah makes the best racers in the world look silly on a pretty regular basis. It's just, it's just head shaking to watch him do it. And I just, I'm telling you, I don't, I've never understood if people are willing to sit down and watch poker on television. Like, what Jeff Sarah does is freaking art. And it's just, it's fun to watch. That's all. That's, that's, that's my whole take. It's just fun to watch. Yeah. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, to, to sum it up for sure. Jeff, Sarah is the hemist him. Ain't no doubt about it. <laughs> Luke, as we're recording this show on Tuesday evening, uh, there are starting to be some cancellations for some Thanksgiving traditions. Uh, in terms of events that are held on Thanksgiving weekend out there. And I hate it. It's a shame, but it looks like good decisions. Man, it looks wet all through the Southeast. It's cold uh, and it's raining, though. Yeah, all this week. And Friday, Saturday, for sure, at most places, a complete washout with Sunday. Maybe you could get something in if things went perfect, but you just can't gamble on that. So, um, you know, we've got Thanksgiving tradition footbreak race, uh, the fall footbreak frenzy, 220 granders at Darlington. That race has been canceled in its current format. Uh, they posted that they're working on maybe a possibility of something next weekend at Darlington. So it'd be interesting to see what the loose rocker team puts together. Beach Bend's turkey race in Bowling Green has been canceled. Um, I know CP promotions is canceled the baton rouge race so not a lot of options to talk about on the next show in terms of thanksgiving race results which is a shame. come come early big jed we may have to get creative yeah it is uh, it's definitely here a little earlier than we anticipated again hate to see it but um you know the the promotion teams all appear to have made really good decisions with what's on tap but since um, we can't talk about those events and what's going to happen, Adam Luke, that pretty much wraps us up for this episode, number 301 of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Hope everybody enjoyed the live show last week. And I think that 
has led us to have some discussions about some more of those in the future. Uh, so I, I don't know what the plans will end up being, but I know we're probably going to show our mugs live on the podcast here uh, with some, I guess, regularity, if you will. Stay tuned. Forward. The live show may be back. <laughs> yeah, live is back. But nonetheless, um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for us uh, as we move forward. But you guys give us your feedback on this show. Uh, reach out. Tell us how much you loved because you had to have loved the Bob Locke interview and hearing his journey. What an incredible journey it was. Uh, we had some big money winners that we talked about on the bracket scene. But anything that we talked about that you'd like to chime in on, and certainly if you're a fan of live shows, whatever the case may be, there's a place where you can let us know how you feel about any of that. And that's the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. When we post the show, you can uh, respond right there. You can make your own topic on our page, or you can send us a private message, and producer Mark will snag that up and let us know what you had to say. But definitely would love to hear from uh, each and every one of you about this episode or any other one there on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Luke, what you got for shouts this week? Shouts to Bob Locke, Big Jed. Shouts to trips mm. to Vegas. Shouts to rounds that matter. Shouts to winning the damn championship, <laughs> Big Jed. Forget the race, the championship. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Shouts to uh, all Taylor all the time in Gulfport. Shouts to Lucas Walker for laying down nothing on the bottom. Shouts to puppies and wieners. Shouts to Jake Hodge and his confidence in the hymnist of all hymns. Jeff Sarah. <laughs> Great shout list by you, Luke. I didn't expect anything less. Guys, we're also active on the Twitter. If you like to tweet, you can uh, reach out to us there and tell us what you're thinking. And uh, at either one of us, Luke is at Luke Bogaki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We need to hear from you there as well. So make sure you reach out. That's going to wrap up episode 301. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And we can't wait to talk to you again real soon about whatever we can find to do with Sportsman Dragons. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now 
for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.